Hey everyone, David Bowden here. Before we start the show, we have a special announcement from the team here at Spoken Gospel. As we approach our summer film block, we're filming our final introductions for our whole project on the Bible, including books of the Bible like the book of Revelation and Chronicles, and it's going to be an amazing time. And we are almost finished funding our need for this film block, and we have about $30,000 left to cross the finish line. And we are asking you, our podcast listeners, to help make this possible. So please consider supporting our mission by visiting the Spoken Gospel website, clicking on donate and contributing what you can. Whether you choose to donate once or monthly, we're so grateful for your support. Okay, now on with the show. Welcome to the Spoken Gospel podcast. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit dedicated to the idea that every part of the Bible, Old Testament and New, is about Jesus. And this podcast is our experiment to publicly test that belief. Every episode, hosts David Bowden and Seth Stewart work through a biblical text to see how it helps us see and savor Jesus. Let's jump in. Well, welcome everyone to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Seth, how are you? I'm good. Yeah? I'm here. You're here. We're drinking coffee. We're drinking coffee. Doing it again. Doing it. Our 101st episode. We totally forgot that. <laughs> to announce our 100th episode. That last week, our genocide episode was the 100th episode. <laughs> so appropriate. Which is uh, totolly appropriate. And it's like... That's like a re- of a hundred released episodes. Hundred released episodes. Yeah, if like, you were like the ones where we open up scripture exactly and talk to each other about that, that's not quite we're not there. quite there. But I mean, a hundred we weeks of a hundred and one weeks of consistent delectable delectable <laughs> delectable delighting del- biblical content. Biblical content. Yeah, it's been it's been awesome. It's, yeah, it's been really fun. Uh, as we're in Joshua. Um, as we're going through this, the first time we're asking you all, our wonderful, wonderful listeners, to uh, ask questions. So if you have any questions about what we're talking about in Joshua, just send us an email. Uh, and that email is podcast at spokengospel.com. That's singular, podcast not at podcast. Spo- yeah, not yeah, podcast at spokengospel.com. Podcast with a Z. No, podcasts? <laughs> You're podcasts. gonna confuse people now. <laughs> Not that. <laughs> Not that. None of the uh, things that Seth says. That's right. Only, Only listen to the to David. Um, and uh, yeah, and uh, send us. You can type out your question, or better yet, record yourself asking it. Keep it short and sweet, and we'd love to play your beautiful voice on the podcast. Yeah, and hopefully uh, answer your questions. wrestle with your wonderful questions with some degree of helpfulness. <laughs> we'll try. <laughs> so uh, anyway, with that. We are in Joshua chapter six, and we're going to go through chapter eight. That's right. This and is the battle of Jericho and AI. It's the first battle in Joshua. Oh, the first, yeah, yeah, you're right, the first battle. Yeah, we've been talking about harem and devoting to destruction and holy war, and we've been preparing the the military for the battle by consecrating them. They've gone in and spied out the land and made a covenant with Rahab. Like we've done a lot of preparation. Yes, to, to actually to draw blood. <laughs> <laughs> like here we go. <laughs> we wanted to make sure you were ready. um yes and so um is that enough like i think that's enough before (laughs) we've done our work here um yeah i mean narratively where are we um they have done a lot of things up to this point they've crossed the jordan river yes uh joshua has completed the same narrative arc as Moses. Proving that he's the new spiritual ancestor to Moses' authority. That's right. And now, before the first battle, uh, angel of the Lord, the commander of the Lord's army, yeah. appears to Joshua and says, I'm on nobody's side, um, but I'm on the side of the Lord. And he worships the angel of the Lord. And the reason why he's described as a commander of the Lord's army, because we're entering into a phase in which God's presence will be expressed militarily. Yeah. Um, and that's where we are. That's uh, an interesting thing you just said. Okay. That we're entering into a phase in which the presence of God will be expressed militarily. Yeah. It's a very helpful <laughs> sentence. <laughs> Thank you. It's I a phase. That. It's a phase. It's, a fa- it's been expressed as a gardener. In the opening of of the book, a creator, you know, he's been a lawmaker, right? Mm -hmm, He's been like mm -hmm. a priest. 
uh, you know, and and now he's been a tour guide through mm-hmm. the wilderness. You know, a tour guide, yeah. <laughs> the divine tour guide. On your left, you'll see the plains of Moab <laughs> and the wilderness of sin. <laughs> Not a pun. <laughs> and um, anyway, and now, yeah, for this phase, it, it, which has a beginning and an end, yeah. God, God's presence is going to be expressed militarily. If you have any questions about that, if you're jumping in, last week's episode is all about. God and warfare and holy war and genocide and all the questions that we're not going to answer on this episode because we talked about it for an hour last episode. Yes. So if you feel like you didn't get any questions answered about why men, women, and children are being put to the sword here in this text, go back and listen to our episode last week. Okay. So we're here. We have crossed the Jordan. The camp is consecrated. Joshua is the new Moses, and he's taking people into their first battle, which is symbolically going to be a precursor, the first fruits of the victory that they are supposed to experience all throughout the land of Canaan. Yep. And the most significant fact about this is that there's no fighting. Oh, right. In the initial... In the initial... uh, The way in which they gain access to the city and uh, really, like, are given victory... Yes. There is no fighting. Because you have to you have to you have to realize Jericho is this fortress. Mm-hmm. I mean, tall walls, uh, this huge gate that at the opening of chapter six is closed and no one is going in and out. Like it is a walled up fortress. Mm-hmm. And you have to think back in this time, I mean, get scaling that kind of city. Yeah. is a monumentally difficult task. You would lose thousands and thousands of lives like water upon rocks, like yeah. you, trying to besiege a fortress like this. Yeah, I'm thinking about... Helm's Deep. Helm's Deep. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking of. I, I was also thinking of... I just you, quoted, water upon uh, rocks water, is water from, rocks from two towers. I was also thinking of the VeggieTales version oh, with the keep Slurpee. Keep walking, <laughs> but you won't knock down our wall. Yes. I'm also thinking of Monty Python and the oh, Frenchman on top yes. of the wall. You can it. I don't even know if that's a bad word. I hope not. I, I just know. said it. <laughs> anyway, just a high wall in which you really can't take take the city without taking the wall at an incredible loss. That's right. Of See, human yeah, life. like siege weapons were very rudimentary at this point, battering rams, things like that. But imagine wood against stone, you know, with archers shooting down at you the whole time. I mean, it's I just want to like overemphasize how difficult how difficult this would have been. And so God comes to Joshua and gives him his battle plan, yeah. and it does not sound smart. He says, walk around the city once a day, mm-hmm. being led by the priests in the Ark of the Covenant. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on the seventh, after doing that for six days, on the seventh day, walk around the city seven, seven times, times, blow the trumpets, and yell. Yep. And every, every every other day, you're supposed to be silent, except on the last day. That's right. And then you yell, and then the walls of the city would fall apart. At the, at the word of the Lord, yeah. the city walls would crumble, and then they would go and take the city. Yeah. And that was that was it. <laughs> the walls would just fall over. I mean, the walls would just fall over. Yeah, and I think the the language like collapse in on themselves. Yeah, it's which uh, would do a lot of the work of the of the of the warfare. Yeah. Just by the walls falling inside like dominoes. Yes. I mean, you can imagine like if it's it's a walled city, you have soldiers like over on the mm-hmm. parapet of the walls, so like you there's a loss of life even with just the walls collapsing. Exactly. You have the people inside the city at that point also dying and then there's the chaos ensuing when you have a fully organized army ready for the walls to fall nobody on the inside knowing the walls are going to oh, fall oh right and then they all rush in and they're like what what just happened yeah did they the just walls yelled. fall I didn't yeah. know that was like on the table as a possibility yes and all that happens uh, yeah and it's kind of amazing it is and amazing it's literally and so I think the most so in, in all that I think the most important fact is that the frontline troops as well are the priests oh yeah the priests and the temple the presence the, of God, the, the presence of God. God, the Ark of the Covenant are leading the troops, mm-hmm. and the army is, we're told, has to walk behind them. So, in all of this, the frontline troops are God's unarmed priests, yeah. along with His presence. Yes, which is like a theme throughout the Bible. Uh, you and I are also studying Samuel right now, mm-hmm. and it's like I see that all throughout Samuel, where where David just kind of backs up and lets God do something. Yeah. You know, he lets the ark go before him in a sense, you know, and it's like, it's a thing like to, to allow God to trust God in battle is a huge theme in Joshua. I mean, and I mean, it, it's just, it's a, a crazy concept mm. 
to have a literal enemy with literal swords. Right. And then you wait for your God box to move. Yeah. Like, it's a crazy... I think about that, like, frequently. Yeah. Like, what is David doing when he thinks... Joshua? That, or Joshua doing. Yeah. Like, what, it's like... That's an incredible amount of faith that you have to like wait for God to move before you do for a week, for a week, <laughs> and it's it's amazing. I and then even in David's life, it's like I'm not gonna. It's it's crazy. Yeah, to it's me. crazy. The amount of faith it's that, ama- that takes anyway, is that, amazing. Yeah. Um. There's a couple significant things. Um. Also happening there. There. This number seven. Yeah. Why seven? So there's a couple of things that I noticed. One is the seventh day would be the completion of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So you have the Passover right before, and then there's the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which stretches a week, and then it ends on the day the walls of Jericho fall. Interesting. Yes. Meaning that it's symbolic of freedom from their enemies. That's right. Yep. Uh, Yep. Just like after the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the walls of the Red Sea fell upon Pharaoh, Mm-hmm. So the walls of Jericho at the end of the feast are falling upon the Jerichites, the, Jer- the Jericonians. <laughs> the Jericonians. I like Jericonians. Uh, okay, I like that. Uh, the other thing that I think is really interesting is it's anytime you have, almost anytime you have seven, mm-hmm. like you've, you've got to think about creation. Yeah. It's the first seven. It's the foundation of seven. Um, and especially when something happens, not only seven times, but when there's, six days of something happening and then something different happens on the seventh day yeah, yeah, yeah. you've got to you've got to think about creation and so it's interesting that you have god's presence moving around like this like the holy spirit hovered over mm-hmm. the waters yeah. he's moving around this city over the tovu vavohu yeah you know which is like the the hebrew for the waste. wild and the waste the, yeah. the chaos the darkness the deep um, the, the great sea monster <laughs> yeah. uh, of uncreation. God is swirling around this city for six days. And on the seventh, instead of resting in, mm. in, in looking at creation, he unleashes uh, in uncreation. Yeah. Uh, and mm. it's just, it's kind of like this, uh, it's kind of like new creation because it's the first step in the new Eden. So we have to remember yeah, yeah. here that Israel is taking the land because they are coming back to build a new Eden. Right. And the first act they do is resting in their faith in God and allowing him to make something out of nothing, to right. speak and let things happen. Mm-hmm. And the seven-day cycle cues us in to the fact that Eden is being made again and it will be done ex nihilo by God. That's really cool. Actually. I hadn't thought about it. I mean, I was like, this probably has something to do with creation. I was like, but that's really... And I like how even like the during the six days of God working, the people are resting. Exactly. And then on the day when everyone is supposed to rest, they do, they eventually, they do receive rest, yeah. but by God working. Like, and the, oh, yes. Right. And, and what that should do then also is set up this paradigm. Oh, this is so interesting. Okay. Right. I just, so um, you kind of have this proleptic seventh day that proleptic, begin, meaning, uh, meaning like, like starting forward. and pointing forward. Okay. And so it starts. Uh, the seventh day anticipates rest, mm-hmm. and so, but it begins with battle. And so the idea is that they're entering into seventh day rest through battle. And what do you get in Joshua? You get all these stories of battles starting with Jericho, and then they finally end, and you get a statement of shalom, a statement of rest. They had rest from their enemy on every side. It's like in the middle of Joshua. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, oh, there's seventh day rest. It happened. And like the ark comes to Shiloh, and it's built. And mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. anyway, I'm just that's like, really, no, that's really good. Yeah. I think it's like, if this is a new Eden and a new creation, it makes sense that there are some, uh, that the rest is involved in the new Eden. Right. Uh, and that God is doing it through his work. Uh, and then they're entering into it. Mm-hmm. That makes a ton of sense. Yeah. That's, that's crazy. There, I mean, there are uh, Genesis three parallels in the next story that we have too with Aiken. Mm. So it's just, for me, it's just like, it's all part of a whole, if we're like talking about this, be, then, oh, 
Let me do, let's just play this out. So okay. if we do okay. have a work of creation here in, yes. in Jericho in, right. in, cha- in chapter 6, in chapter 7 what we have is one of the men of Israel's camp taking something that's been devoted to destruction, devoted for the Lord, and mm-hmm. taking it from himself. Right. And the language is that he saw something beautiful, a cloak of Shinar, oh, and takes it. Oh, come on. And it's actually the same word from Genesis 3. When so Eve saw the fruit of the tree, it, it was, was desirous to her eyes, and same she word. took it. And she took it. And then she was devoted to destruction. She was devoted to destruction. Come on. So you have a creation and fall narrative inside the new Eden. You have to leave now. <laughs> leave. <laughs> you, you must leave. You must leave. <laughs> I need a moment. I need to lay down for a full hour. <laughs> That's amazing. So then that means, so the, and then it just play out to the very end of that. Then you have that person destroyed. Yes. The, the, the seed of the serpent is then destroyed. Right. Within the narrative of its, it, itself. And then Israel's allowed to go back into the land. And they claim victory. And they claim victory. And then they have rest. So it's like in miniature. It's, it's the whole story of the Bible. It's the whole story of the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> That's remarkable. The, uh, wow, the Bible authors. The, they knew what they were doing. Yeah, and the, 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 the Holy Spirit. He also knew what he was doing. This is amazing. <laughs> so, I mean, if we just take, if we take that as one way in which to see Jesus mm-hmm. in, this, in this text, it's almost in that scenario, it's less so about Jesus being the one who claims victory and more as the Jesus as the one who is orchestrating victory. It's the gospel of God's control over the affairs of mankind. Oh, because like what kind of God with wielding what kind of control could orchestrate the events of a couple weeks worth of warfare uh, to repeat the story of a 4,000, 6,000, 8,000 year yeah. redemptive <laughs> salvation history. Yeah. Only Yahweh. Or even the fact that God has provided the land. Mm-hmm. He's provided the victory. He's provided the terms of living in his new land. Don't eat of this. Don't take of that. Eat of this instead. We have someone who doesn't do that. God then comes and destroys him, mm. the, sna- the, 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 the serpent, he crushes his head in that moment, and then he provides new rest for his people and increased victory over that same place. It's like oh, yes. God is the one doing everything in yeah. the passage. He's telling Joshua what to do, and he's obeying him. So in a sense, Joshua is the new Adam, obeying God's command, and mm-hmm. God's providing new rest. So how do we see Jesus and the good news there, like God, Jesus is in the heavens. God is in the heavens providing for us the way in which we receive rest. Mm. And as we are obedient to him, we enter into that rest. He crushes the serpent for us. Mm -hmm. He provides victory for us. He clearly lays out the terms by which we live in his presence. Do not take and take from me. (laughs) Like, and we live with him. Like, Mm -hmm. so I think that's a really yeah. Yeah, it's really beautiful. Um, yeah, I mean, I have nothing else to add to that. I, I just want to I want to go back to Jericho mm-hmm. and like just meditate on the faith in God's presence circling our enemies and like meditate on the victory of Jesus as the final ark of God claiming victory over our enemies while we sit back and watch. Yeah. You know, and it's like Jesus um, I, I it's it's easy to think about the cross. I mean, it's not easy. I most often think about the cross um, in terms of Jesus being defeated for me. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Which is like really good, mm-hmm. super appropriate. But it's also Jesus winning a conquest through unlikely means, mm-hmm. like circling Jericho really that's going to conquer something mm-hmm. a cross really some dude died 2000 years ago you yeah. really think that did something yeah i did look at the walls of jericho and right. look at the empty tomb like mm-hmm. jesus conquested um our enemies for us mm-hmm. our enemies of condemnation and shame and guilt and the serpent and, and the, <laughs> like, the, the seed of the serpent, seed of serpent. Um, our enemy and accuser satan he conquered all of that through the unlikely means of circling the city, like mm-hmm. like circling death. And yeah. he died on the cross. In, in, in that, the walls of Jericho fall, like the walls, the fortress of sin, the, the impenetrable walls of a six-foot grave yeah. <laughs> fall. Mm-hmm. And 
we're released. It makes me think about our, our prayer time this morning. We were we were praying through Psalm 17? 17. 17, yeah. and talked about being in the shadow of, of his wings. Of his in, wings. In the apple of his eye. In the apple of his eye. And then the whole rest of the psalm is about the destruction of God's enemies, which right. is like a really strange like turn, turn yeah. from like, he's the... God, I'm the apple of God's eye. He's I a sweet the, God. Yeah. He's a sweet God. And then like David's praying for the destruction of his enemies. Uh, and we prayed along the lines of like, there's um, the enemies of God want nothing more for us than to not feel protected by him. Right. And to not feel as if we are the apple of God's eye. Yeah. Like we constantly struggle with the idea that we are, God doesn't love us like a son. Yeah. God, we aren't protected by God. God doesn't want to protect us. He would rather just throw us out there and let us get what we deserve. You know, right. like we have this like poor picture of God that he just mm-hmm. wants us to suffer and he's meticulously calculating all the things we did wrong and just wants to get us. Mm-hmm. Um, and all those voices are the voices of the enemies. Yes. And so I think too about like, what does Jericho represent? It represents home. Mm. It represents protection. It represents God being faithful to his promises. Mm-hmm. It re- represents God's steadfast love towards Israel, right? Yeah, it totally does. And I think as such, since it represents all those things, it is vitally important that the first battle was won by the inexplicable act of God. Yes. That it had nothing to do with the people's ability in battle. Mm-hmm. Because like they would be like, oh, we're really strong. We got this. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the conquest would have looked differently. But since the conquest was founded upon grace first and an act of God and a movement of God first, the rest of the battle, the rest of the war looked different. Yeah. And I think that's really important for us as Christians to know, like, because Jesus dying on the cross and our ability to believe in him in faith was first an act of grace and mercy, the rest of our war looks different. Yes. Like, because yeah. it's, we know it's God working in us and not ourselves working. We don't have to go conquer every battle ourselves because God is the one who conquers it for us. Yeah. He, on his own, secures for us the verdict mm-hmm. that we are the apple of God's eye. Yeah. And that we are under his wings. And no enemy mm-hmm. can take that from us. Like, no. And this is what Romans 8 is talking about. Or this is John 10, 10. None can snatch you out of my hands. Right. John 10, 10. Yeah. Uh, Romans 8 is like, shall tribulation or persecution or famine or stress or nakedness or sword separate us from the love of God? Nope. By no means. Why? Because he's destroyed the enemy by mm-hmm. his own power. He has circled the walls of Jericho. Yep. And a cross has provided you perfect access to to home, a home in his presence forever. Yeah, it's so good. I also like think about Jericho as the first fruits of the battle of all of Canaan. Mm-hmm. Like, the, like the, yeah, yeah. Like since Jericho was a successful expedition, the rest of Canaan will be as well. Since God gave us Jericho, we will get the whole land. And I'm like, that's how the New Testament reflects on the cross, or really it reflects on the resurrection. Uh, there's a strange phrase in the New Testament where it's like, Jesus, the firstborn of the dead, right? The first fruits from the grave, the firstborn of all creation. Like Jesus, his resurrection is proof of a future resurrection. Like Jesus yes, yes, rising yes, yes. from the grave is our proof that we too will, will, will raise, from, raise from the grave. And so it's just like, looking to Jesus's cross as the first victory against Satan and against death that guarantees right. all future victories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's just like, if you are, if you ever are like doubting your own salvation, your own resurrection, uh, the future, like your future with God. Or your own, your, your own status in God's eyes. Yes, like, Do you right. doubt that you are loved by God? Do you doubt that he desires to protect you mm-hmm. and call you his own? Yeah, look to the resurrection look to the fact that jesus has beaten the grave the walls of the final jericho have fallen okay we're going to move on to chapter seven and the sin or the fall of achan which we just discovered is like a new type of he's like a new eve repurposing the fall. But before we go there, we really should go back to Joshua 6, 18. This is a warning that Joshua gives to everybody before they go into battle. And they say, but you, referring to his soldiers, keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, 
lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. So we've talked about devoted destruction before. And that's the that's harem. That's harem. And the idea is that everything in the city is devoted by God to be destroyed. And if it's not devoted by God to be destroyed, it's devoted by God for God. Um, and that's the some of the gold that they use to uh, furnish the sanctuary. That's some of the animals that they use in sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And depending on the city, harem looks a little bit different. Yes. So another reason why this is not a, a, a senseless genocide like the harem commandments change between city and city. That's right. Um, and so in Jericho, everything was supposed to be destroyed. Mm-hmm. But in AI, the animals were supposed to be left alive to not only be sacrificed to the Lord, but also to be used by food as food. Yeah. Um, regardless, the point I was trying to make was um, Joshua says, if you take anything from this city, mm-hmm. That is that, devoted that to is destruction. Devo- devoted destruction. You yourself will be devoted to destruction. That's right. Yep. Uh, because Punishment this, fits the crime. Yep. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Yeah. You. This. This belongs to the Lord. Yep. He has devoted it to destruction. If you take it, you are bringing upon yourself that same condemnation. We will hand same. you over to the Lord. Right. So yeah, this. This. <sighs> there's a goat in the city that's devoted to this destruction. It's meant to be handed over to God in death. If you go and take that goat then you will be handed over to God in death. Yes. You will be devoted to destruction. Yeah, it is Leviticus justice, mm-hmm. straight up, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Yes, and yep. so in chapter 7, verse 1, we hear these words. Oh, no. But the people of Israel broke faith ah! in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, important, Uh-oh. the chosen tribe, yep. the tribe from which the Messiah was supposed mm-hmm. to come, uh, took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Burned against. Now, there, I mean, there's a lot there to the, unpack. Yeah. yeah, so that that phrase, burned against, is a pretty strong word. Mm-hmm. Um, it's used in Exodus 32 uh, at the golden calf. Right. It's used in Numbers 25 and 32 to, to describe the rebellion of Korah. And uh, where? Uh, numbers 25, isn't that? Isn't that? Core 16. Oh, I don't remember what number 25 is then. Number 25 is, uh, I just put a number 25 into Google and it just brought me up the number 25. Number, <laughs> number 25, <laughs> Google. Number 25. That's really funny. Uh, oh, it's when Moab seduces Israel and they start uh, worshiping other gods. Oh, because of, because Balaam, of Balaam. Because of Balaam. Yeah, and, and then, God's anger burned against them there. Yeah, and then numbers 32, is that the other one? Anyway, there's one, one other time. So the idea is, it's really egregious uh-huh. idolatry. Yes, uh, and but the, the the interesting thing is, it's Achan. We're told is the one who broke faith regarding the devoted things, and yet God's anger burned against all Israel. Yes, and we know because of how they found out it was Achan that like God knew who it was all along. God wasn't like, "Who did it? I smell something bad in the air. Who farted?" You know, like that's not what's <laughs> happening. Like. <laughs> Who farted? I'm mad with everybody in the room. (laughs) Someone farted. That's really funny. But it's like God knew exactly who it was, and yet he is angry with all of Israel. Mm -hmm. Why? Um, Well, it's the same kind of logic that applies to the devoted to destruction. The the sin of the Canaanites had progressed to such a point that being a part of the Canaanite civilization and being a part of the hard-hearted a uh, few who remained behind mm-hmm. was enough to implicate everybody who remained behind, even if they weren't soldiers. Yep. So there's a sen- there's a rippling effect of idolatry that is assumed. If one person uh, is idolatrously attached to this, the whole tribe is, mm-hmm. or at least the clan is in this in this case. But in, even in the first one, the whole of Israel, yeah, the people of Israel, the people of Israel are under threat from being devoted to destruction by the Lord. Um, so did I, answer, what did, I, did I answer your question? I, I mean, mean, that's one answer, yeah, yeah, that's I think. That's one answer. So I there's, there's, a, yep. there's a, uh, a consistency. There's between a consistency the, between the justice God is bringing against Canaan mm-hmm. and the justice that God expects and will bring against Israel. Right. Okay. But there's like God's handling yep. both the same way. Yep. There's also the idea of purity, right? Mm-hmm. That like mm-hmm. if you were just reading straight through your Bible and you have Leviticus ringing in your ears... This does not sound surprising to you mm-hmm. because the whole idea of Leviticus, like cleaning up the area around the tabernacle so that God's presence could be there, you know, 
and if it's not clean, yeah, God will either punish you or leave. He'll kick you out, or he won't be there. Mm-hmm. And then if you have like numbers ringing around in your head, how many times did one person or one clan sin, yep. and the whole mm-hmm. like camp of Israel had to be punished? Yep. And so like there is this purity that God is after. Uh, and that's why Israel's going into the land to clean it up from impurity. And, and when so you say purity, you mean yeah. like nothing bad, like nothing zero percent bad, zero percent. So when bad. you have one percent bad, it, it messes with the system. Yeah, you it's like if you put a little bit of poop in it, dough yeah. and then I make bread for it. I'm like, here you go, here's bread for you. There's 500 grams of flour in this bread and only one gram of poop. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. A little bit spoils the whole thing. Yeah. The other way to answer this question, and it's an important facet of this question, is that Aiken is acting as a representative for all of Israel yep. in two different ways. Okay. And one, he's from the Messianic clan. And so, oh. he, right. So like, Oh, there's like a threat to the entire future of God. Threat to the entire future of God. Whoa. Um, and then I guess there's three ways. And secondly, just like the idea that people can represent corporations, meaning like a corporate body, like Adam don't get, represents. Don't, don't get political with me. <laughs> Adam represents all of humanity. That's right. Jesus yep. represents all, all of humanity. humanity. And any one Israelite represents all, all Israelites. Israelites. Paul yep. even uses this logic. Like if you break one law, you break all the laws. Like, we, still, we still do this today. Yeah. Right? It's like, uh, like uh, La, uh, what's his name? Lauer? Matt Lauer. Mm-hmm. You know is like this horrible womanizer. It comes out. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And yes, then it's yes, like, yes. I'm boy, cancel the Today, today Show. Shut it down. The whole Today Show has to be canceled. Right. It's like, Susanna Guthrie didn't do anything, you know? I don't know who that is, but... She's another correspondent <laughs> on the Today Show. Uh, and it's like, nope, shut it all down. Got it. And it's like, we do the same thing. Yeah, cancel culture. Cancel culture. Is a bad... Like, it's, it's, a, a, it's a bad version of it's this. It's a bad version of this. But also, Aiken is not the only person who's being sinful in Israel. Mm. So... I think part of the logic here is that Aiken is the most egregious example of faithfulness, faithlessness that's happening everywhere in Israel. Oh. Uh, so think about a uh, the way Moses, when he finally struck the rock and it was an act of faithlessness, mm-hmm. there was faithlessness throughout the whole camp of Israel up to that point. Right. And then when Moses finally has an act of faith, faithlessness, it kind of communicates not just the leaders failing, but actually faithlessness is kind of everywhere. And we okay. actually see this in the text oh, okay. in chapter 7, verse 3. So we get that one verse that's saying Achan stole something, and then we go straight into the battle. Now they're preparing for the next battle right. against AI. And so they send some spies up into AI to kind of figure out what they should do. And in verse 3, it says this, and when the spies returned to Joshua, they said to him, do not have all the people go up but let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack AI. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. So a couple of interesting things. The word toil is the same word from the curse mm-hmm. used in Genesis chapter 3. Which we just said, 7-1 is the beginning of the fall narrative. Right. And two, how much toil was actually involved in taking, in taking Jericho? Jericho. <laughs> so like... <laughs> It's a don't make me do one lap around a city again. It's like I don't like why is this toil? Why is this toil? Why is this part? God is not cursing you and making you go up to AI. He's trying to give you blessing. So right, exactly. So there's like there seems to be some like faithlessness that's kind of endemic to the nation of Israel. Besides that, we also have narratives in the previous parts of the Bible in in Numbers where the spies go into the land and say, oh, it's. They come back with bad advice right. anyway. And the, well, and they don't ask God. And there's no mention of God. Yes, that's another big part. They of just this. go up and look and like, eh, I don't know. We can we can we we can whip them. Yeah, we can. We, it's gonna be fine. There's no mention of God. There's no asking for permission. There's no asking for a battle strategy. None of that happens here. Yeah. Along with the fact that they're like, the last battle was so hard. <laughs> right. And it's like, where's the commander of the Lord's army in this? Right. The last time we set out to besiege a city, God came and gave us the battle plan. It's just like mm-hmm. the whole narrative structure is broken. Right. So when you say I was, I was like going to fight you. Mm-hmm. I know you were. <laughs> uh, when, when you said like, it wasn't just Aiken sinning. It was, you know, a lot of, a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I was like, I don't think everybody took devoted things, but you're saying different types of faithlessness. Different types of faithlessness. Yes. And Aikens was the most egregious or yes. the most okay. prominent or Got the it. most... Uh, f- it was it was the symbolic representation of the sinfulness that was happening everywhere throughout mm-hmm. Israel. So it's possible that um, after Jericho, mm-hmm. the, like, the people became proud. 
yeah presumptuous yeah yeah that's exactly right like think, oh god's on our side we can do whatever we want mm-hmm. let's let's take the city with a handful of people let's not ask god what the deal is and like come on i'm gonna take this goat yeah you know? we do they do what's right in their own eyes they right. yep. uh they see something that looks good they see a strategy that looks good to them and they just decide to go after it and all this is confirmed because they go battle against ai right and the whole nation is defeated and then we're told this in verse five and the hearts of the people melted and became like water Uh-oh. it's the same language used to describe the canaanites before they went into jericho it's it's saying all of israel has in one sense become like canaan their hearts are melting within them before uh the lord they're i've idolatrously chosen a different path than the lord mm. apart from the lord's like understand yep. like ways yep and there's becoming like Canaan. Yep. So all that's happening. Yes. Okay. Um, So Joshua then tears his clothes mm -hmm. and repents and it goes up to the ark of the Lord and just starts talking to God and like putting dust on his head and lamenting. And he's saying like, why God did you bring us over the Jordan at all to just be given over to the hands of the Amorites? Would that we have been content to dwell on the other side of the Jordan? Why have you even brought us here if we're just going to be destroyed? What about your promises? What about your name? Everything's ruined. What are you going to do, God? And and this verse nine, and if you don't do anything, if you continue to let this happen, the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? Yep. Uh, so he's saying, God, your name's on the line if you don't provide us victory in battle. At this point, Joshua doesn't know anything's wrong. He's assuming... Right, that God's just, like, abandoned them. God's abandoned them. Yep. So in some ways, in a lot of ways, this has a lot to do with, like, the, the Sinai. It's a lot like what happened in Mount Sinai. You have the law given. Mm-hmm. You have this great moment of God's presence, like on the mountain. Oh, right. And then God's giving his law. And then they worship a golden calf. And then God's like, I'm going to destroy them all. Yep. So we, Achan does this. God's going to destroy them all. And then lo- yep. lose in battle. And then, yeah. And now, because uh, back in Mount Sinai, Moses kind of says some of the same things. He says almost He's like, ex- God, if you wipe everybody out, what about what will happen to the name of your people and what will happen to your great name? That's exactly right. We'll be right. defamed among the nations. The only difference here is that Moses knew, knew what, the, what, what they the did wrong was. and Joshua doesn't. Right. And so Joshua, it sounds like an accusation against God. God, we've done nothing wrong and mm. you're failing your end of the bargain. Yeah. Uh, Moses knew he did wrong, but he was still appealing to God for mercy. Yes. Um, so anyway, so that happens. He intercedes on behalf of the people, and then God tells him what's wrong. And I love, I love God's response. He goes, "Get up! Why have you fallen on your face? Like there's nothing to <laughs> lament about. I'm just doing what's right." He's like, "Israel has sinned. They've transgressed, and so I've, I've punished." Yes. He's just like, why are you lamenting? <laughs> I, just, I love that. I, I don't know why I love that so much. Yeah. That, I mean, it's like, just get up. Let's fix this problem. Let's fix so, this problem. Uh, therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies because they have lied and put some of my devoted things in their own belongings. Right. And so God says the remedy to the situation will be uh, they have become, Israel has become devoted for destruction. And I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. So like God's like I'm out of here unless you go and destroy those things that were devoted for destruction. And so they go through this lot um, system, lot system mm-hmm. of trying to find who who done it. Right? Yeah, and I I don't we always like what 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 are lots? It's like whoever rolls double sixes, that's the lot. Yes. Like, this is the way I imagine it. So it's like you have all the 12 tri- leaders of all the 12 tribes of Israel and they roll lots and whoever lands double sixes, that's yeah. the person. Or the other way to think about it is you have this cube or whatever mm-hmm. and you write all 12 tribes name on each side right you have dungeons and dragons dice yeah, yeah. that's like custom curated and it falls on oh. judah and then they roll it again and, and they the re- yeah on. they write all the clans names and yeah. then they write all the family names there's another yeah, yeah we don't know exactly what laws but basically were, but yeah. that's how they figure it yeah. out and they whittle it down all the way to aiken mm-hmm. yep. that's right and so when it comes to aiken they go into his tent they pull back like a covering like a hidey hole and they mm-hmm. find 2,000 shekels of silver and a gold bar weighing 50 shekels. And uh, and um, Aiken says, I, I took it because I coveted them. Yeah, they looked uh, a beautiful cloak, which is that same word from mm-hmm. Genesis 3, and he took them. Right. Oh, I forgot. This is interesting. So when God is commanding or when God is telling Joshua what happened, he says that they have stolen mm-hmm. and lied. They broke the seventh and the eighth commandment. And then here... Um, 
Achan admits to breaking the 10th commandment in coveting. Oh, yeah. And so it is kind of like the golden calf where they yep. broke the second commandment or whatever. Yeah, don't, where, make, yeah, idols. don't make idols. Yeah. And now they're breaking the 7th, 8th, and 10th commandment. So that's it is right. hearkening back to all that. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yep. Um, and the pun- and so um, the punishment for all this is essentially yeah. the, is the same punishment that was given to Jericho. That's right. The stones would cover the, the they would be covered in a ruin of stones, mm-hmm. and that it would be set on fire. And they would be devoted to destruction. Yeah, devoted to destruction. Right. In the case of Jericho, meant yep. the 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 town being uh, re- yep. resorted to rubble or right. Ruined yep. to rubble right. and burned. Yep. And that same thing is about to happen to Achan and his family. Right. He is supposed to be stoned, covered in stones, and burned. He and his family. And his family, yes. Yeah. In the in, same way. In the same way Jericho was not just the men of arms, but the whole families right. that remained in the city. They were all devoted to destruction. Mm-hmm. So in the same so Achan's sin came down upon his whole family, his whole property, and the things that were originally devoted from destruction that he stole. Everything is stoned and burned and there's just this big pile of stone which it came to this like monument mm-hmm. that was like we shouldn't sin <laughs> yeah like just yeah. like the the ruins of jericho became a monument so does aiken's yep. uh burial ground or stoning ground yep. um so what's a helpful way for people to think about god's justice here as like requiring aiken like blood blood for blood like hey you took t- you you stole you know yeah. like in america We'd be like, okay, go to prison for 10 years. Right. You know, it's like, okay, punishment fits the crime. Does uh-huh. the punishment fit the crime here? Like, that's like, I feel like well, that's the question people are going to be asking. If it's a, a new fall narrative, mm-hmm. um, we would have to say yes. So if it's a new fall narrative and the original fall was a compl- a rebellion against God's means of creating a new Eden. Yes. Like, you are not just taken some gold Mm -hmm. you are running counter to god's purposes to not just bring peace for all people but you're running counter to god's divine commands yes so it's like there's a divine disobedience and you are bringing death and sin to not just the generations that are alive at that time but all people of all time so like there's like a real sense that what achan is doing would last for millennia. It would last like, forever. It would last forever. Yeah. Like if he, and so like him to be punished by losing his life is the appropriate punishment for his crime. To save all of Israel. To save all of Israel. And then all the world. That's exactly right. Yeah. Um, in the same way that we count God just when Adam and Eve ate fruit. Well, oh, like right. fruit. Yeah. Like why Big can't deal. I, like it's fruit. It's what it represents. Right. It represents a total dismissal of everything God intends to do through his people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what what's the curse? You will surely die. Right. Like that's it's the it's the same thing. It's the exactly the same thing mm-hmm. uh, that's happening. Why death? Like why why is it death? Both for like Adam and Eve and Aiken here like I, like why that punishment why is that the like why can't it just be like you'll be put in prison for the rest of your life or, or like let's let's even try to like i don't want to say like death is the worst possible thing you could do that's not the reason but like why is that the, the punishment that fits the crime i'm like mm-hmm. like why not be tortured every day until you die you know like uh, you, it could be worse than death too right, right, right. you know like death is not the worst thing god could contrive um so it's like why is death the thing that is like the punishment for rebelling against God and not being able to be in Eden anymore. Right. So, and I mean, in one sense, you have categories for life and death in the sacrificial system. Oh, so yeah. like you have God as the God of life. Yes. So if you transgress, come across God's plans, intentions, or commands for life, you are devoting yourself to the opposite of life. Mm-hmm. You have chosen for yourself the opposite of life mm-hmm. and God is giving it to you. In very brutal terms, like you, you want death, you can have death. Yeah. Um, if you transgress God's commands, He punishes you with death. Like that's like the, if you transgress the commands of life, you get death. The wages of sin is the death. wages of sin is death. Yeah. Um, uh, and I think that's a really simple way to understand it, but mm-hmm. I don't also don't think you need to get much more, more complicated than that. It's like you have a God who is holy, separate, set apart, and all that He does tends towards life goodness, justice, peace, and rest. Mm -hmm. He has given you laws that will tend towards life and Mm -hmm. justice and peace and rest. 
If you decide to go against one of those things, you are actively working against the divine commands of justice, peace, life, and You're rest. You're choosing death. You are choosing death. So God's, and God takes that seriously. Mm-hmm. And so he commands the opposite of that. Right. He commands death. Right. A proportionate response to what you are trying to steal from God. Mm. And life. Steal, life. Yeah. Steal from God and steal from his people. Yeah. Life. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I think it's also like, uh, when I think about this as a new fall narrative, you know, it's like to be away from God mm-hmm. is death. Yeah. Right? To Because you're away from the tree of life in the and Garden of Eden. And there's this line here that you will not be able to stand in, fr- in the presence of your enemies anymore. Right. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's like the Ark of the Covenant is there. That's the thing that circled Jericho and caused it to fall. Mm. And like, th- this right. is the presence of God walking around the camp in the cool of the day, you know? Yes. Like... And, and so he is actively, um, like, yeah, choosing the opposite of God. Like, to, he, he's saying, like, I don't want to be in God's presence. Yeah. And so God is like, okay, then I'm, to cut you off from, your, from my presence, you've chosen death. We're going to bring that sentence up to now. Yeah. Instead of making you wait 50 years for it, it's happening now. I'm bringing your sentence yeah. present, you know, like... Anyway, I just think that's interesting. It is, yeah. Uh, okay, the other thing I think about real quick, I just want to make this connection because it's helpful for me when I think about um, death for death, kind of, you know, the exchange that's happening here is the whole idea from the Torah about um, murders and the um, the uh, what, the avenger of blood, mm-hmm. where it's like if someone dies in Israel, there is a impurity. An unsolved murder compromises the dignity, the purity of the land, yeah, yeah. and therefore the presence of God. And that's what's on the line here. God says, I will not be among you anymore. I'm going to leave. My presence is going to leave if this doesn't get cleaned up. And so like a murder that's unsolved in the land of Israel means God won't stay around. And so they have to find who is responsible for the murderer and put that murderer to death. Mm-hmm. And then the purity is restored and God can dwell among his people. Even so much so that like if a murder is unsolvable, yeah. cold case they have to at least offer a sacrifice and say god we don't know who committed this murder or if it was a murder at all but here's right. a sacrifice and then yeah. it's solved yeah like that sin creates this impurity in the land that threatens intimacy with god and must be cleaned up yeah and so this is the eye for eye tooth for tooth punishment that cleans up mm-hmm. the impurity that's threatening the people's intimacy with god and not only their intimacy with god but like if God is expressing himself militarily in his presence in yeah. Joshua, they are compromising their future ability to take Canaan. Like they won't be able to win wars anymore yeah. if they don't deal with this. Right. Because God will not be on their side. And we see how that goes whenever yeah. God's on their side in the battle of AI. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, I think all that's on the line. Yeah. And just to rewind a little bit to go back to Joshua 6, after Jericho is destroyed, uh, Joshua pronounces this curse. Cursed before the Lord be the man who tri- rises up and rebuilds the city of Jericho. Oh, yes. At the cost of his firstborn son shall he lay its foundation, and at the cost of his youngest son shall he set up its gates. Oh, there you so go. So you have like this instance where Achan is trying to rebuild Jericho. Like there's this rebellious city, mm. um, and he tries to, he takes its devoted things. Right. And he is acting, his heart melts within him like he's a Canaanite, like oh, he's a yeah. Jerichoite, and like he's rebuilding. Yep. Jericho. So his, he's rebuilding yep. the Tower of Babel. He's repeating the sin of Eve. Like right. he's doing the same stuff again. And it, and what happens? At the cost of his firstborn, he lays the foundation to that new city of death. Yep. Like he's like rebuilding the city of death and it brings death to his whole family. Yep. Um, Man. Yeah. That's really good. So that's, I think that's why death. Yeah. I think that's, that's just like a, just a big question so here. Then let's so preach the gospel oh, from that for a second. Yes. So one day Jesus will rebuild Jericho. What? Jesus will rebuild Jericho. Um, God will lose his firstborn son to bring Canaanites and prostitutes back to him. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) It's like, he does it. Yeah. The God of life allows his son to die so that life can go to all people who should have been devoted to destruction. Oh, that's so true. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah. I mean, when I, when I think about like, in the New Testament, when it talks about like the wrath of God remains on those who do mm-hmm. not yet believe, yeah. you know, in Jesus, where it's like we are devoted to destruction, mm-hmm. and Jesus t- 
takes us as spoil, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. For himself and brings us into his tent, hides us under a rug. And he's like, yeah. you're mine now. Yeah. And God says, you know, or whatever. Like, yeah. It's like, okay, but in order to take what is devoted to destruction, you have to be devoted to destruction. Yeah. And God fulfills his own law by becoming flesh, mm-hmm. dying on the cross for mm-hmm. us. Yeah, yeah. He is devoted to destruction in order to save us yep. who are devoted to destruction. Yeah, it's like, so John says basically, so it's like the idea is like whoever is not devoted to Yahweh is devoid, devoted to be destroyed. Right. And everyone who's devoted to Yahweh will live. Mm-hmm. And so John says basically the same thing in John 3.16. Whoever believes in God's son will not perish, but have everlasting life. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. And the idea is the light has come into the world. The people love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. So like when God's people show up in Canaan, Rahab saw the light of Mm -hmm. God's faithfulness to his people and believed in Yahweh. The rest of Jericho preferred their darkness. They chose to fortify their position, shut themselves in and fight rather than devote themselves to God. And so if our world then is like Jericho, it stands condemned already. Mm. Our world, we are devoted to destruction. And like you just said, the good news is that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And if we, like Rahab, believe and devote ourselves to him, we become part of his His people, mm. we escape destruction, and we're given life in his eternal kingdom. Mm. That's amazing. Yeah. He rebuilds Jericho. <laughs> And, and bears the punishment and for bears it. bears the punishment for so, so that Canaanites and prostitutes can be with him in his presence. Okay, so if this was the fall narrative and the crushing of Achan was the kind of salvation moment for Israel, yes. then what we have next is is the like second coming of Jesus. This <laughs> like is the, the new creation. The new creation. Yeah, yeah. They're going back or they're going further into Eden and they're taking territory. Yes. Eden is growing. Eden is growing. In this yeah. in this version of the new creation, there's still sin and wickedness. Right. But, in the, <laughs> but for now, for now. Let's go go with this. You're gonna use your literary imagination. Um, yes, that's exactly what's happening. And yep. so that means the battle of AI has to happen again because they failed the first time they failed when the they didn't time. seek the counsel of God. But now that they have sought that, now they seek the counsel of God yes. after destroying the person who uh, took the things that were devoted to destruction yep. and threatened the camp of Israel. They ask God what to do, and God gives them their battle strategy. Uh, He tells them to set an ambush, essentially, and to hide some people behind the city and to go up in a similar formation as they did last time and when they were beaten back. So the idea is they have this large army behind the city that's hidden. They don't know they're there, and then they do the same thing they did last time, and then AI is going to be, oh, yeah, we took these guys last time. Let's go get them, boys. So they walk up, and then they start running away with a limp. And it draws the people out of the city. Right. So all the soldiers rush after them to just destroy them. Right. They think so they can take it. AI is empty. AI is empty. The large army that was hiding behind AI comes back, burns the city to the ground. And the soldiers look back over their shoulders while they're pursuing the believed to be beleaguered Israelites. Uh, yes. And they're like, oh no, the city's on fire. <laughs> and then they realize they're surrounded yep. and they're quickly destroyed. Um, and that's really... Yeah. Here's a couple of narrative details that I don't know what to make of oh. that I want to ask you about. Ooh, okay. Um, one, we've already talked about how Haram is different here. Oh, um, yes. I also want to just point out in verse 5 and 6, um, and I and all the people who are with me will approach the city, and when they come out against us, just as before, we shall flee before them, and they will come out after us until we have drawn them away from the city. And they will say, they are fleeing from us just as before, so we will flee before them. And what I love about that is God is orchestrating a plan that uses AI's own pride and assumptions oh. about Israel against them. And it falls back on their own it, heads. Yeah, so I just, lo- I just loved how clever that was of the Lord. <laughs> it was like, these guys are pretty prideful. They're going to think they can take you really easily, so let's use that against them. Yeah, that is clever. clever. I thought that was funny. Uh, but here's the question that I have. Um, oh, in okay. verse 10, Joshua sl- spends the night among the people. Verse 9, sorry. Verse 9. So Joshua sent them out. And they went to the place of ambush and lay between Bethel and Ai. Mm-hmm. And Joshua spent the night with his people, verse 10. And then again in verse 13, uh, the night before, he spent the night in the valley with his people. 
Uh, and I just thought it was such a strange narrative detail to include twice in the space of five verses in a fairly sparse military account. Mm. Um, and I couldn't tell what it communicated. Like, I have some ideas, but like, have you thought about this at all? I have not. But the first thing that comes into my head, based on everything we've been meditating on so far in this text, is Joshua's resting. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, Joshua is still living in day seven. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the day seven that started at Jericho, where God does everything and the people rest in victory, Joshua is living it. Like, he's resting with his people in the night yeah. before the victory. That's interesting. I don't know. If- I like that. I also thought about um, just him as a military leader. Like, what does it communicate that the king of Israel... Right sleeps in the camp like he's not in his palace yeah uh which is david is indicted for in the psalms or in first in samuel samuel Samuel, second samuel his armies go out and he stays home so it's like well maybe it's something about like his bravery like he's being strong courageous he's sleeping with men his his men on the battlefield yes (laughs) sleeping Sleeping with (laughs) sleeping sleeping alongside (laughs) his men on the battlefield uh you know like he's like just being a good warrior (laughs) yes a good warrior. A good warrior. <laughs> um, but again, I, I don't feel like that does it justice, or maybe it does, and that's all it's supposed to communicate. But maybe. I, I don't know. That is an interesting narrative detail. Uh, so if you I, like, bet, I like my rest one. I like your rest one, too. It, it imports all its theological significance. But I don't know it. If, it, if the text can bear up under it. But anyway. I don't think so either. However, there you guys there go. You go. There okay. you guys go. The other very interesting narrative detail, which I know you were getting to next, is the javelin. Yeah, verse 18. Then the Lord said to Joshua, stretch out the javelin that is in your hands towards Ai, because I will give it into your hand. And Joshua stretched out the javelin that was in his hand towards the city. Um, And that phrase is interesting because... Oh, is this on uh, me? That's on you now. Oh, okay. Because it's hearkening us back to two two stories, uh, very, very important stories in Israel's history. Maybe even three stories, if you think about it. Um, There's two are very similar. Um, it's the crossing of the Red Sea when and the crossing of the Jordan. God tells Moses to stretch out his, his rod, his staff, his staff That's over right. the sea. Yep, and, and you have the, the two walls of the sea separate, and the people pass through on dry ground, but then the walls close on either side of the opposing army again. when he stretches out his arm again, and he defeats the army by a, a force from each side, and the so, walls from each side. And here in Ai, you have Israel's army on either side swallowing up as uh, Joshua stretches yeah. out his javelin. Cool. Super cool. Uh, Joshua also stretches out his his hands. hands. Or, uh, Moses or does. No, but what, what happens at the, at the at the Jordan? Uh, does he, what does he do with the, the Jordan? It's the soles of the priest's feet okay. as soon as they so touch. Not that. Not that. Okay. But yes, uh, in Exodus 17. This uh, is one of the first stories we hear about Joshua, actually. It is. Uh-huh. Yep, it is. Joshua is the commander of the army in this story, and they are going up against the Amalekites, I believe. Mm-hmm. And uh, sure. God God tells what? <laughs> sure. Sure. I I, I'm pretty sure that's right. <laughs> the Amalekites. And God tells Moses to lift up his hands, mm-hmm. to raise up his hands. And as long as he does, the victory is won. The battle is won. And Aaron even comes over and helps him keeps, keep his arms up. Yeah. And so it's like, all of this is like conflating together to be like, God is the one that's going to win this victory. And he's going to show you that through this raised javelin, yeah. that it's not just because like, if you just read this story, it's like, Oh cool. Good military strategy. Right. Right. right but without right. this theologically imported moment of the raised javelin, yeah. there's no like credit given to God really other than for the military strategy. Right. It's like, Oh, it's his power working like it did at the Red Sea and like it did against the Amalekites. It's working again here in AI to bring about yeah. victory. It's again, the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of the Lord, his power is what's going out and causing victory. Yeah, and then just to your point, verse 26, but Joshua did not draw back his hand with mm-hmm. his stretch out javelin until he devoted all the inhabitants of AI to destruction. Same thing as what happened in Exodus 17. Yep, absolutely. And the, the Red Sea, yep. Yep. both happens. Like yep. God's victory is provided when the faithful warrior stretches out his hand he's interceding 
Interceding for his people. For his people. Yep. Yeah. And so it's like it's a beautiful. And that's yeah. that's the that's the emphasis in that the the first story in the Exodus story. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're both from Exodus. The yep. one about the Amal- Amalekites. He's uh-huh. interceding for his people. That's right. And in the Red Sea crossing, the staff is like a symbol of God's judgment. He's not interceding for the Egyptians. It's like a staff of judgment or like a scepter or power. Or a power. Right. Yes. Like power and intercession. Yep. Um, both those things are happening here. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, it's interesting that when when we're told that like there there are a couple of different prophecies I'm thinking about, um, I think one's in Isaiah. Uh, it's referenced again, I believe in in um, Revelation, looking back at Jesus and what will happen in the second coming, where Jesus is described as having like a rod of iron mm-hmm. with which he will judge the nations. You yeah. know, uh, and so it's like thinking about Jesus as this God who wields all power to uproot seas and um, vanquish armies, you know, who also is standing at God's right hand forever interceding for us, forever holding out the javelin. You know, he's like, like the things God commands us to do um, will succeed because Jesus is interceding for us. Like he always is there lifting up the javelin. Yeah. He has, he has his javelin and power to just Mm -hmm. swallow up our enemies. Yeah. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? Right. He swallows up death. Like, by his power, yeah. by his javelin, it's just done. Yeah, uh, and then he holds out his rod and intercedes for us, or he holds mm-hmm. up his hands and intercedes and prays for us. I also love that as like not only seeing Jesus in Joshua, right, but seeing Jesus in the battle and seeing ourselves as Joshua, where it's like, what does God ask us to do mm. to have victory over our enemy? Right? Yeah. It's just he didn't fight. Right. He was just interceding. He was just pointing yeah. to the direction of the battle. And I'm just like... It also makes... That, no, that's so It's just like, man, just like have faith. And like, it also pray. makes me think... I mean, this is probably taking a step too far, but you have two layers happening. You have Joshua as the leader, mm-hmm. and you have the people of Israel. And normally, like good hermeneutics would say, like, you're not Joshua. You're right. the people of Israel. Yes. Uh, because you're normally not the hero of the story. God yep. is. Mm-hmm. Jesus is. But you're right. Joshua has faith. Yes. He holds out the scepter of God's power, and his enemies are defeated. What are we, what are we told? Like by the blood of the Lamb and the word, word of, of our, our testimony, testimony, we we conquer. Yes. Like proclaim the gospel, yes. hold out the cross, and, and your enemies you are conquered. <laughs> your, your enemies are conquered. Yeah. But at the same time, I think there's also this element of trust hmm. in our leader, who is like Joshua. Oh yes. And we follow in his footsteps. Mm-hmm. And in our case, it wouldn't be to go to battle mm. or it would be to go to against the principalities and powers That's of this right. world. But yep. like we sacrificially go to battle under the javelin of the new leader. Like Jesus yep. has his power. The enemy has been swallowed. The enemy is right. defeated. The cross is raised out over But it the world. still requires battle yep. and bravery from us. Go, therefore, into all nations. Yes. Yes. And we go out trusting that the cross of Jesus mm-hmm. is being lifted up in intercession for us and that he is with us even to yeah. the end of the age, right? He's sleeping on, in the camp he, with he's us. He's in the camp with us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's really that's really beautiful. Okay, there's one more story here, and it is another. It, if, you, if you haven't noticed yet, this Joshua loves to reference Exodus. Yeah. <laughs> and we're going to get, or, or at least the Torah and some really significant moments in Moses's life. And so we're going to get another reference here about the two mountains. Yeah. So at the end of the book of Deuteronomy, uh, once they got into the land, mm-hmm. they were supposed to have this covenant ceremony, this covenant renewal ceremony, where essentially they affirm everything that God said to them on Mount Sinai um, and through the book of Leviticus and through the book of uh, Deuteronomy. Mm -hmm. And they were supposed to proclaim on Mount Ebal all the curses of the covenant and proclaim on Mount Gerizim all the blessings of the covenant. And remember, we're at the border of the promised land. Oh, right. And so as you walk into the promised land, you see a mountain of blessing and a mountain of cursing. And we mm-hmm. talked about the tree of knowledge of good and evil yep. and like the curses. We can see Jericho. You can almost imagine Jericho on one city mountain and AI on the other. <laughs> obedience, and obedience and disobedience. And disobedience. Yep. Represented and, by two cities. And they read the covenant. They read the law. Yeah, it says not one word of all that Moses was written was not heard by all the people. He just read the Torah to them. Yeah, from the mountain. And if you go back to Deuteronomy, it's this really intense ceremony where they'll announce a covenant. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, so like, 
I will bless your fields. Amen. Amen. I will bless your cattle. Amen. I will make your children live forever. Amen. <laughs> and then on the mountain of cursing, right. you say, and I will strip away everything if you disobey me. Amen. Amen. <laughs> I will strip away everything yep. like, if you disobey me. Amen. Yep. And you, they had this like corporate ceremony mm. and it happened right here mm-hmm. at between these two mountains. Yep. So what this does is shows us that Israel is being faithful. Mm. Prime, even though we have, notwithstanding the sin of Achan and whatever else was going on in the camp with the people who thought taking Jericho was so hard, like whatever was going on there, the major note is that Israel is being faithful to God's covenant mm. and we can expect victory going forward. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I'm just thinking about like, like with with Jesus, I'm like thinking about the, this as a full narrative, right? As like, mm-hmm. as we've talked about it, where yep. it's like, and then Jesus rides out into victory, holds the cross over the world in his second coming and conquers the last city of evil and yep. the new heavens and new earth come and he goes up on a mountain and proclaims all the blessings of the new heavens, and the new earth over us. And he says, mm-hmm. I will dwell with you and I will be your king. And we say, amen. I will set up my presence among you and the sun will be gone because I will be your light. And we say, amen. There'll be no more tears, no more weeping, no more pain. And we say, amen. And then we all hold our breath and we look to the other mountain waiting to hear the curses of what might happen if we mess up in the new heavens and new earth. And, and Jesus you, never leaves the mountain of blessing. <laughs> or all you hear on the mountain of cursing is it is, is finished. finished. <laughs> and we all say, amen. amen. <laughs> oh, that's so good. <laughs> oh, so that's Joshua 6 yeah. to 8. That's Joshua 6 to 8. Yeah. Uh, it was great. It was fun. I had fun. Um, again, reiterate, um, especially for those of you hardcore fans hardcore. that have stayed around to the very end of the episode, we want to hear from you. Mm-hmm. Please uh, email us your question uh, questions with a Z uh, with a Z with a good old <laughs> uh, Z send it to podcast at spokengospel.com uh, write your uh, your question voice record your question we want to hear from you so please send that our way uh, thank you for joining us and we'll see you next week thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel Podcast Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit that gives all its resources like this podcast away for free because of supporters like you. To help Spoken Gospel in our mission to speak the gospel out of every corner of scripture and view all our free resources, visit SpokenGospel.com.